Hello, welcome to the Darren Clarkson King podcast. My name is Darren Clarkson King. I do a lot of kayaking in the Himalayas, but I live in North Wales now. And as normal, this podcast is just going to be insane ramblings. But I'm joined today with, by Chris Evans. And I'm at Plazy Brennan in North Wales, National Mountain Centre. That's right, isn't it, Chris? It is, yeah. New title. New title. Right, Chris, what is it you do at the Brennan? Uh, I'm a paddle sport instructor and uh, mountain bike instructor. And as of January, I was promoted to lead paddle sport instructor. So I am responsible for the development of the paddle sport department. Oh, that's awesome. The reason I've got Chris in today for this podcast is because I want to talk a bit about learning styles and sort of the way we teach kayaking in Britain and the way a lot of people teach. And I thought the Brennan is a good place to start, especially because the... One of the icons of North Wales, uh, North Wales kayaking, is really important to the Brennan at the moment, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's back. He's back. We've got him back. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure Chris is going to introduce him now. He's not going to be on the podcast because I've not asked him, but he might do at one point. Anyway, who are we talking about? So, Lowell Collins. Lowell Collins has come back. He's uh, going to be Director of Learning and Training for us. So what that means is uh, all the research that he's done over the last few years is going to be filtered into a lot of the um, a lot of the work that we do, coaching people, leading, guiding, instructing, all that sort of stuff. And now that's pretty cool. I mean, if ever there was a reason to go and find Lowell, then you know where he is now. He's not hiding under a rock on the glen like he used to. <laughs> <laughs> right, cause, so yeah, can you just tell us a little bit about the way that uh, you teach or like the the pre- premier examples of teaching kayaking and like, like locations in North Wales? Um, location, well, I'll start with that. I'll start with location because that's probably easier. Location depends on the group, so sort of where their standard is, what they're after, and we're also fairly tied by environment. So um, certainly for working on the river, if it doesn't rain, we've got two rivers that we can get to, that we can use, so the River Dee, the River Truerne, um, and we've also got a couple of tidal places that we can use, like the Menai Straits, uh, Four Mile Bridge, that sort of thing. Uh, if the water levels are up, it's on the doorstep. There's, there's lots here that we can go and use for a variety of levels. That's awesome. One of the things that I'm always surprised about, Chris, is a professional in the industry, and you are a professional in the industry. Chris looks a lot more professional than me today. He's got some smart <laughs> trousers on and a nice branded shirt and a nice pair of approach shoes. I'm in, I'm in flip-flops and shorts. But one of the things that I always sort of wonder about is people's expectations on courses and people's expectations on days, not necessarily on a course, but like on peer paddles and expectations of their ability. And I'm just wondering, like, have you got any stories where people have thought they were way superior to the environment in which they were in in, in as much as you know they <coughs> they maybe have booked on like an intermediate style course or an intermediate day with friends and uh, you've, you've noticed that but realistically they're actually only a maybe a class one paddler because they when they say they've got a hundred percent roll they don't have one at all have you got any sort of examples and sort of learning outcomes from there um I mean, yes, that, that does happen. It doesn't show itself as much as it used to anymore because of boat shape changing. So with boat shape changing, you can get away with a lot more than you used to. 
a lot more than you used to, um, which certainly environment-wise means that you're going to find those, the tripping up on the edges, the, the being pushed around, maybe a little bit further into the environment than previous. Um, the, the good examples of that is um, maybe not a club, but a group of mates that have turned up. And it's more about the social than it is the coaching and the learning outcomes. Mm -hmm. And you might get one or two that are just being dragged into that next environment a bit too quickly because that's where their mates want to go. And the yeah. water levels are up and so on. Um, and strip away any of the technique that can come away from it. Strip away any of the real pinpoint stuff about stroke work and about boat placement and about all that sort of stuff. The real damaging thing that that can do is it can knock someone's confidence. It can knock someone's confidence and worse than that, it can make them not want to do it again. Because if it is the social that they're interested in, they'll find that somewhere else. So the, the big change in coaching and learning that's happened at the minute is being far more uh, learner focused. Um, I, I remember being put in a boat and it was all about stroke work, stroke work, stroke work. We're going to learn, we're going to learn bow rudder this week. And you think, well, where's that been, where's that been decided? You know, and it may have been decided a few weeks beforehand and be out of the hands of the learner. And now what's happening and the change that's happened among coaches is there are no preconceived ideas of what people want. So they'll turn up, there'll be a big chat, there'll be like a, you know, get people out on the water and benchmarking, where are they at, what are they after, and then linking those golden threads that come out. So we're going to work on this little key bit here linking all those golden threads to the goals that have been set. So it's far more driven around the learner. And that I find really exciting because no two days on the water are the same. The environment, the venue can be the same, but what you get up to can be totally different from one day to the next. There'll be similarities, but totally different. Okay. So, <coughs> excuse me, what I'm understanding then is the development of, of product, it has played a key role in the development of coaching. Because if you've got a, a boat now, like a modern style boat, that makes it easier to transition from a flat water paddler into a white water paddler in a white water environment, it, it's made that much easier. I mean, when we learned to paddle, we were paddling dancers or, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. or snipes or whatever it may be. And going from flat water to moving water, we got spanked coming across eddy lines, you know, making eddy turns and high crosses. And, even the Dufek back in the day. But with modern designs, that doesn't happen as much. Is that what you're saying? It, exactly, exactly. And the, I don't know about you, but my transition from flat water to moving water wasn't a few days. It was, it was a good few years. And it may have been where I was based. I, you know, I grew up in London and learned to paddle on the Thames and that sort of stuff. So there wasn't moving water. Um, so for me, it was a good couple of years of flat water before I was put on moving. And now the boats have got bigger, they've got, they've got safer, the cockpits are bigger, so you can get in and out of them easier. There's more rocker on the front, so they'll go over things, and it just means that the transfer into that environment is a bit quicker. Um, I, on one hand, think it's great. I think people are getting there really quickly, and they're getting really intrinsically motivated by it. I want to get on this river, I'm going to get the, the feel of paddling down this stretch and being with the mates and get into that new environment. Um, but with these new designs, you aren't getting the, as you say, the, the tripping over the edges in the simpler environments. 
and getting, as it gets worded, the spankings in a simpler, maybe safer place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when I was learning, when I was transitioning from sort of flat water into, <coughs> excuse me, into a white water environment, I was on a course with Ray Rowe. Now, some of the listeners to this podcast might know the name, and I'm, do you know the name, Chris? Yeah, 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 I know. Uh, you know, pe- people know the name Ray Rowe. I was on a course with Ray Rowe up on uh, Slanningford. And I, all we were doing was S-turns. So coming out of the eddy, river left, S-turn into a river right eddy. And every single time I made that eddy, that S-turn, every single time I flipped, rolled up in the floor, paddled into the eddy. Every single time. Now, is that something that still happens, or have modern boats negated that? Um, it does still happen. Uh, you can still get the feedback that feedback of, oh, I've, I've got this wrong, I've flipped. Okay, my rolling's working. That's the bit that I'd pull out of that if I was coaching you. You're rolling solid in moving water. There's your bonus. That the S turns as a move, I, I think is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Because you don't need a really pushy environment to do those. Mm-hmm. You think about the slalom paddles. <coughs> they spend lots of time doing S turns. Mm-hmm. And how can we make that absolutely technically perfect? That is, for me, a lot of what paddling is. It isn't necessarily how big can I go, how hard can I go. Yes, I enjoy that, but for me, it's how smooth can I get this craft to feel? How, how well can I get this boat to place? How much energy can I create from the boat? How much free movement can I get from the boat? And I think that's where the, the transfer is happening. Okay. So that, that feel thing and that, okay, does it feel smooth, comfortable, effortless, controlled, linked that is still there that is still present um i think maybe that new environment thing the next step environment i think that's where sometimes the real feedback comes from so my job coaching wise is often a lot of the time is to make those simpler environments harder okay now that leads me off to a question i've wanted to ask for ages i mean i see it uh, with people come to Nepal on trips, I see people able, because of boat design, they're able to bounce down rivers that are maybe above their skill base mm-hmm. uh, in relative comfort and relative safety because the boat's got a big rocker and it'll bounce over waves or <coughs> you know it's nice and round and it's not got a severe rail if you've got a roundhole boat and it'll generally look after you in, in a wave train. So I've noticed people pushing above their skill level quite, quite a lot. You know, they say they're, you know, a class three paddler, a class four paddler, and when you actually put them in an environment that's constant class three, constant class four, then they can't cope. You know, because it's constant, isolated sections of class three, of class four, they, they can deal with. And then a paddler, you know, when it, when it, as rapid is, you know, half a K long, struggles to make those decisions. Uh, they're, they're probably okay following, but they can't make that decision. Uh, for themselves. Now, to me, that doesn't mean you're a class three paddler. It means you've got the skills to paddle class three when you've been led, but you're not a class three paddler because you can't make those decisions yourself. Is that something you'd agree or disagree with? As something that works full time. Um, that's quite hard for me to put my my finger on because um, when I think about why people want coaching. It's for a number of reasons. It's the social thing that we've mentioned. That's one of them. My mates have come here. 
I'm coming to, for a weekend away with my mates. The other one is they want to be in the environment with performers of the same level. So I'm now amongst peers and we can move around. And the other one is they've hit a wall and they're not going any further. So they need help going further to that goal that they're after. Now that, that sounds like the one that you've kind of picked up on there maybe. And it might be that it's a confidence knock. Mm. So it might be, okay, I'm, I've got this nice boat now with loads of rocker and loads of volume and big old cockpit that I can get in and out of really easily. And I've gone to that environment. It's given me a kick in. I've taken that swim that stripped all confidence. Now I need it rebuilding. And if the rebuilding is I need to follow, great, that's a way of rebuilding it. If it's I need to be making those decisions myself and take ownership of them, then great, we'll work on that. Um, as far as it goes with seeing, I guess a way of describing that is a loose pattern on the river, you do see it sometimes. Um, I don't think that's a British thing. I think that's a paddling thing. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that with British rivers, you can, dare I say it, you can get away with it a little bit more because when it is when the rivers are up if it stops raining the rivers aren't up anymore it's gone you go somewhere like the alps the himalayas the states it's not like you can switch it off it's not like the water goes and it, it is continuous so when things happen it's almost like a, a snowball effect you know it will keep it will keep growing it has potential to keep going and get a bit bigger um so that comes back to relating it to the goals that people are after if somebody's saying I want to go on an Alpine trip. I want to go on a Himalayan trip. Okay, let me drag out a little bit more of what is involved in that trip. Is it group of mates, it's about the social and it's simple paddling and you're not really caring what rivers you're getting on? Or is it there's a huge drive for us to get on this river, it's the next step up, it's pushy, it's a type of paddling that I haven't done. If I see that learner that is a lot of training that will go in. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of training that will go in because it comes back to that motivation thing and that confidence thing. If someone gets a confidence knock, which could be in the new environment, they might not want to go there again. If you make them strong enough, I've had this confidence knock, I know it's a one-off, I know swims happen, I can accept it. That has been built from the natural movement that boats can have on the river or craft can have in that environment. Okay. So, <clears throat> just start going off at a little tangent, because people that listen to this podcast will know I like going off at tangents. Right, that's what I thought I'd done then, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you were good there, Chris. But I'm going to go off at a tangent a little bit, and uh, I'm going to sort of play devil's advocate here a little bit, and good. try and put the cat on the pigeons. Do you, and I was going to say, do you agree or disagree, but I don't think it's one of those things. How important is it that professionals in the industry and mimicked and what I mean by that is I'm not talking about people all wearing the same helmet or all wearing the same buoyancy or all using the same boat or all sending it or all running the nah. What I'm talking about is somebody that's a professional in the industry teaching a stroke so whether that be a forward stroke or how to ferry glide you know any of that and there their learning outcome to their to people they're with, they're with being mimicked to such an extent that 
people watching that learner in the environment know who's taught them. Uh, right, okay. so let me just expand that a little bit. You know, I, I can notice in a lot of people I've watched progress through the sport who their influences are, down to the way they run a rapid, down to the way they scout, down to the gear they choose, and you can see who their influences are. And I've just thought, how important is that, and should that be a thing? So, I would put that as role modelling, and um, this is something that I'm quite hot on. Um, certainly for the leadership awards, you know, um, if as a leader you've got out and you've said, "Hey, look, here's your line," you've got to be able to not just describe it, but you've got to be able to show it, and you've got to be able to show it in a manner that inspires. Mm-hmm. And by inspire. I don't mean you've got down it on the seat of your pants. You've got down that in style that doesn't look easy, but it looks purposeful and it looks controlled. Yeah. Um, I'm personally, I'm quite hot on that. Um, and it's one of the things that I'll bully myself about. So we talk about um, advanced environments and we talk about um, sort of... The, the intermediate environment and coaching and leading in those, uh, it, it goes as far as I took a swim on the Fairy Glen. Yeah, I like, read about, I read about that. A, a first week of January, and I'll hold my hand up to that. I took a swim there. So I'm now thinking, was that situation, or was that that I need to go into the environment myself more to be that role model? And I had a really interesting conversation with Tom Parker, actually, who, again, works in that environment, who said, you know what, I'm the same. I went on the Fairy Glen, it had been a while since I was on there, and I think I need to go there a bit more if I want to work on advanced assessments. I just thought, that's brilliant. That's absolutely fantastic. That's striking that role modelling thing. But I also think, well, we're thinking that. Mm. So, is it, the right, is it the right people that have got that mindset? On one hand, yes. And on the other hand... And I'm not going to name names here because that wouldn't be fair. I hear of assessments that that advanced environment or the environment that people are working in is just crept down a little bit. And it's crept down a little bit because maybe they haven't been in that environment themselves for a while. Okay. So, yeah, I, I get that. One of the things that you know I want to sort of go back to my original question was, well, <laughs> it's all right because... I mean, you know, it's, it's not a drama because that answer was actually a really good answer. But when I say, when I use the word mimic, okay, I actually mean people that I can watch from the back somebody that has been taught and I can see from the back who taught them due to the, their body position and the way they put strokes in because they're mimicking the person that taught them almost perfectly. Okay. So what I, the, the point I'm really trying to get at is that I see lots of people learning from lots of different more advanced paddlers, whether it be in an official capacity, you know, on a paid course or through peers, and then you can sit and watch who they learn from, because you can see the way they're putting the strokes in, you know, the cadence is almost the same as the person that has taught them, The the way they hold the paddle is almost the same. I see. Now, but the part of what I get at, did, is that a good thing? Because I see that as a good thing because it teaches good stroke placement and it teaches good, good etiquette in a way. But then there's no individuality to that stroke. 
Right. Now, that's where I'm going, really, with that question, is how individual can we be when we're teaching something like a forward stroke? Because a forward stroke requires that you do X, Y, and Z to get a forward stroke. Yeah. And there's not much... You can't go A, B, C because you won't get it. You've got to do X, Y, and Z. But how much flex have we got in that X, Y, and Z to individualise that stroke for the way I want to paddle? And people that know me will know that I paddle like a T-Rex. My arms are super close in on my paddle. I'm quite lazy. I don't do a lot of strokes. And uh, Chris puts a lot more in than me. If anybody wants to watch Chris, he's a lot more dynamic than me. But I'm super lazy. And I'm not, and I'm not Crazy Dave. Uh, crazy Dave will just put a none in. Anyway, how much individuality can we get when we're doing that? Um, I, I like that idea. I like the idea of individuality. I, I really do. Um, I will agree that previously there were patterns of learn this stroke and it must be done this way at this time, with this flavour, wearing this cag. Um, that's moved on. And it's, it's slowly creeping in and it's, it's moved on because what works for one person might not work for somebody else. And let's use rolling as an example. Um, everybody's different height, weight, build, body shape, flexibility, comfort, wants and needs. So we talk about this textbook thing you write something down in a textbook, yeah, Lowell's going to love me for that. You write something down <laughs> in a textbook, it, it might not strike them because of all those factors. So if you put in a set of ideals for that, and those ideals are, is it efficient? Is it going to hurt you? So there was this pattern of, and I'll use rolling again as, as the example, there was a pattern of you've got to roll up with your nose on the front of the boat. And the only way that I can see that working for myself because I'm tall in the body, short in the legs, is by extending my rolling arm that's doing all the work way beyond my body. And that's going to put both shoulders at risk. So I'm not going to do that. However, there was a huge pattern of it must be done like this because over the front of the boat is stable and so on. So it, to, to answer that, yes. I agree that sometimes you can see people that will mimic the people that have coached them, and that's great if it works for them. However, just taking a step back and going, well, what do I think? Does that work for me? How else could I do that? Could I get that outcome in a much simpler way? We'll start to open the doors to that flair, that individuality. Oh, that's, that's perfect. That's a good answer. We've, we've talked loads in this podcast. We've just come up 20-odd minutes. And we normally close this at 25 minutes, but we're going to rattle on a bit more. And uh, <clears throat> I want to basically ask Chris this question, and he don't know, and none of these questions have been scripted, you probably know that. Mm. <laughs> but I'm going to ask Chris a, a, a couple of questions, and uh, he's going to rattle them off, and then we'll sign off. Right, Chris, when you were learning, yeah. who, who did you look up to as like an inspirational paddler? Now, they're probably no longer on the scene because obviously we're quite old now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, who did you look up to as an inspirational paddle that sort of led you on this journey to be where you are now? Um, there, well, there have been lots and lots along the way. Lots along the way. Um, from, um, you know, your first coach who's put you on the water, um, you know, there's somebody who's tiny wee, um, to people that you've worked with that you find inspirational and then the more you get into it the more you'll start to see all these all these paddling celebrities that you think I, I want to paddle like those 
um, like like them. Um, growing up on the Thames, it was hard not to be inspired by people like Sean Baker, like um, Andy Jackson from Kayako Jacko, and then Big Andy Jackson up in Scotland. Um, you know, at the time, Cheesy was at the, uh, down at the Thames as well. Deb Pinnegar, they were all using Hurley as their training ground, and you'd get to rock up at Hurley. And it'd be terrifying, but you're seeing all these people and they're going huge and they're coming over and talking to you. So that, that for me is that real, the real inspiration. Um, and then as things have changed for me and I've gone from wanting to be just a paddler to being paddler first, coach second, I've got some coaches that have been inspirations as well. So again, Andy Jackson, Kayako Jacko, um, followed up by... Pete Cattrall, when I turned up here and started working here, um, Lowell Collins, um, Sid, Sid Sinfield, uh, some of the guys up at the lodge, so Doug Cooper, uh, Ian Sherrington, these are all guys that I've, been, that I've been on the water with that have helped, that have inspired, but it's really hard not to watch some of the videos recently from people like Aniol and Gerd Sarasolis, from, uh, from Bren Orton, from... Um, Evan Garcia and just watching them and going well you know this is the real forefront this is what I want to be paddling like I might not be able to go to the same places as them because they are top of their game but the way they're moving their boats around I find really inspirational still something to aspire to the way they move that craft Oh, Chris that's awesome I mean I'd give a lot of the similar answers I mean I'd, I'd put Lowell up there as and I hope Lowell, Lowell's in the next room actually, and I hope he can hear this. But yeah, I'd put Lowell up there as like an inspiration for not just coaching for kayaking in North Wales. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, the guys you mentioned down at Hurley, I'd definitely say that people are listening to this podcast. If you don't know any of those names, bang them into Google. If they don't turn up in Google, stick them in Wikipedia, which probably won't show up, in which case somebody needs to write into Wikipedia about them, <laughs> and then uh, we can get a little page going. But yeah, really inspirational, and obviously, all the modern stuff that you've mentioned, I think is super important. But we're going to draw this to a close and I'm just going to do three quick fire questions to Chris and we're going to sign off. As ever, this podcast, not sponsored because no one wants to sponsor me rattling on I, and it's not at all. And Chris's name dropped away works and the people he likes and that's fine, but I will smack him around the back of the head later. Anyway, Chris, <laughs> f- favourite boat of all time? Gus. Gus, what colour? Uh, mine's orange. You've got orange? Ah, uh, Yellow. Bigger. Bigger. Yellow one's bigger, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Favourite river ever? Or Maldak. Ever? Uh, yeah. Yeah? Not the Humler? No, I didn't get on it, did I? <laughs> I was waiting for you to mention that. <laughs> and on that note, guys, we'll see you next week. Well, maybe not next week, next time. <laughs> All right, top. <laughs>